Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead wet man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took, wife, uh, took Ruth and she became his wife. 
When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your own old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Pray together. Father God, we thank you for this ancient story. God, I pray today that you would take these really old words from this really old time and bring it alive in our hearts. God, today we would know your loving kindness. We would know your faithfulness. We would know you as our Redeemer today. We echo the words of the townspeople of Bethlehem all those years ago. And so praise be the Lord, for he has not left us today without a redeemer. Fill our hearts with praise. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we finish our uh, series in Ruth today. And uh, last week, the end of uh, chapter 3, we see Boaz and Ruth actually want to marry, but Boaz knows that there is someone who is closer in Elimelech's line as a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer, and uh, he chooses to do what is right according to the Word of God. He chooses to do what is right in the eyes of God, even though he really wants to marry. Ruth and Ruth wants to marry him, he knows that somebody else has the opportunity, the first right and the first responsibility to be Ruth and Naomi's redeemer. And so in chapter 4, we see Boaz go to the city gate, hoping to run into this relative who is Naomi's closest kinsman redeemer. 
verse uh, 1, it says this, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. So this idea of a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer is uh, the Hebrew word goel. It was uh, God's way of providing for the poor, for widows who found themselves in debt, that some Someone from the family line could uh, could marry the, uh, the 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 widow could marry uh, that the the person who is left with a debt and could actually keep their land. It sounds like a knight in shining armor. And it kind of was for those who were desperate, for women who had no way of owning land for themselves and had no way of, uh, of earning an income uh, for themselves. You know, this was a great provision from God, a kinsman redeemer. And he comes along to the city gates where Boaz is waiting for him. Because the city gates is where you go to run into people. It was the entrance to the city. If you wanted to rub, if you wanted to sort of uh, bump into someone, you didn't go to Carindale, you went to the city gates. It's where everybody walked in to the city. It was also the place where business transactions happened. It was the place where uh, witnesses would, would gather and they would decide legal matters. All right, so it's kind of the center of town, and Boaz is waiting there for this, uh, this kinsman redeemer who has the first right and the first responsibility to pay off Naomi's debt so that they can keep the land and know God's provision. And it says, as he's sitting there, once again, we see the providence of God. Then along comes this kinsman redeemer, and Boaz says to him, Hello, friend, come and sit down. Now, what we, we don't really have a really great way of translating that word that's friend from the Hebrew. It actually is like us saying, Mr. So-and-so, or old what's-his-name. What the writer is intentionally doing is saying, this guy doesn't deserve to be named. Mr. So-and-so, old what's-his-name. Boaz comes up to him and says, this is the deal. Elimelech's land needs to be sold, but you can redeem it. You can keep this piece of land for Naomi. You can provide for her in her old age. And Mr. So-and-so looks at the deal. He's, he's, get, he's getting this land, he's, he's, he's increasing his property portfolio. And he says, good deal. I'll take the deal. But then Boaz says something you need to understand, part of this contract, you know, what comes with this land and what comes with this old lady named Naomi is a young woman named Ruth. Now this guy's thinking, you know, I can, I can get this bit of land, Naomi will fall off the perch soon and this land will be mine. He's thinking it's a, it's a good deal, this is a, this is a good, you know, uh, business deal. But then Boaz says you also get Ruth. Now, it wasn't that, you know, Ruth wasn't an attractive woman, but Ruth became his wife. Ruth would bear children, and those children would legally be able to inherit that piece of land. And so his inheritance would be split up. And now he's thinking, Mr. So-and-so is thinking through, you know, is this really worth it? 
Is, is the sacrifice worth it? Is paying this debt and buying this land, is it worth it? it might, I might not get it in the long run. And so he says to Boaz, if Ruth is coming with the deal, no deal. I'm out. But for Boaz, this wasn't a business deal. This wasn't a transaction. For Boaz, this is personal. For Boaz, this is relational. You see, Boaz loves Ruth. Boaz wants to be with Ruth. And so he is willing to sacrifice much. He he doesn't think about, is my inheritance going to be split up? He, He doesn't think about the cost of this debt that he has to pay. Why? Because he wants to be with Ruth. You see, the greater love that you have in the heart for someone or something, the more that you're willing to sacrifice. The less love that you have in the heart for someone or something, the less that you're willing to sacrifice. Much love, much sacrifice. Little love, little sacrifice. Boaz is looking at at this woman named Ruth and saying, you know, I want to marry her. I want to redeem her. I'm willing to pay the cost. And then he says, let's seal the deal right now. And there was this ancient custom in Israel, before you could sign on a bit of paper, before you could uh, seal something with a seal, they'd trade sandals in front of witnesses. And all the witnesses were gathered in the city gates. They'd trade sandals. They'd step into another man's shoes. And so here Boaz is saying, hey, this is your right. This is your responsibility to redeem this woman and this land, but I'm willing to step into your shoes and pay that debt. And the way that they would seal the deal is by exchanging or trading sandals. Let me, let me read to you from, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 25 how this would work out in family life. Just have a listen to this. Some of you have never read this before. And this is, this is what would happen if, if your brother's wife died. This is how you would redeem her. This is how you would keep the land in their family line. You would, uh, you would marry your sister-in-law. However, it says in Deuteronomy 25, if you don't want to marry your sister-in-law, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widows shall go up to him, listen to this, in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. (laughs) Sometimes the Bible is funny. I reckon there's a few families of the unsandaled in here. You're you're looking at your sister-in-law going, man, I hope my brother doesn't die. Because if he does, I'm taking off my spandle and she can spit in my face. I don't care. Imagine 
Imagine, you know, going to the department of main roads to renew your donkey license and the old grandma behind the counter says first name, Jason, last name, unsandaled. You know, imagine, imagine her rolling her eyes and shaking her head, you evil man. And I can imagine myself there going, you don't know my sister-in-law. She's mean and she's nasty. Her tofu carousel is horrible. I don't want to marry her. Come on, if you want to be obedient to the Word of God this Christmas, just go up to your sister-in-law at Christmas lunch. Say, take my sandal. <laughs> Spit in my face. But I'm never going to marry you. This is the way illegal transactions happened. They'd say, I'll take your debt. I'll step into your shoes and I'll trade sandals. Now just picture this for a minute. Ruth chapter four. Boaz looks at the man who has the right and the responsibility to pay off the debt and in front of a crowd of witnesses, he says, I'll step into your shoes and I'll pay that debt. I'll redeem that land. I will take Ruth as my wife. Now the book of Ruth is an incredible piece of liter literature. The writer just writes this incredible love story, but I reckon at this point in the story, the writer would love to stop and just help us to understand the bigger picture that's going on here. The bigger unfolding story of God's covenant love for all people, not just for one woman named Ruth. You see, maybe if a mere mortal, a man who is kind and he is wealthy and he has means, but he's a mere mortal, if a mere mortal could love an outcast, redeem her debt, and bring her in to an intimate relationship with himself, then maybe the God of the universe could love every outcast, would be willing to step into our shoes and pay our debt because he wants us in a loving relationship of intimacy for all eternity. Can I hear an amen this morning? Just maybe God is kinder than Boaz. Just maybe he's got more power and wealth than Boaz. Just maybe he could pay the price and step into our shoes and pay our debt of sin. Four things you need to be a kinsman redeemer. Firstly, you need to be close of kin. You need to be able to take another's place. This wasn't for anybody to do. You had to be, you had to be a close relative. You had to be able to step into this other person's shoes and, and take their place. Secondly, you had to be able to pay the debt. It means you didn't have any debt against you. You were debt free. It's the only way that you, you could be a kinsman redeemer, you had to, get to pay someone else's debt. Thirdly, you had to be willing to pay the debt. We see Mr. So-and-so was able but not willing. He wasn't willing to make the sacrifice. And fourthly, the redemption was not complete until the full price was paid. 
Think about our kinsman redeemer. You know, God could have sent an angel and would have been free from sin, but wouldn't have done point one. Couldn't be close kin. They couldn't step into our shoes. God could have sent another great prophet or another great priest, and they would have been kin. They would have been like us. But they had their own debt of sin. They, they, they weren't without debt themselves. And so they couldn't be our redeemer. And if Jesus was unwilling to empty himself of the rights of his divine nature, then we wouldn't be redeemed. We needed someone to be willing. But this is the good news of the book of Ruth. It's the good news of the whole Bible. It's the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is another kinsman redeemer. His name is Jesus. He entered the world through the gates of Bethlehem. And in front of a crowd of witnesses, he stepped into our shoes. He took on our debt of sin. He was fully man and fully God. He was close kin. He was just like us, but he was also fully God. He was the eternal God. He's the only one who never sinned. And he was willing to step into our shoes and on the cross of Jesus Christ, his blood was shed. He was willing to pay the cost to cover your sin. And on that cross, he cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. Finished. You see, Boaz was able to be Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer. And the women looked at them and said, praise be to the Lord that he has not left you without a redeemer today. And I want to say to all of us today, praise be to God that we are not without a redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ. He's kinder than Boaz. He's more loving than Boaz. He made a greater sacrifice than Boaz. He has more power than Boaz. He doesn't just give us, you know, a better future for our time on earth, but he gives us a future that will never end. You have a redeemer. Your redeemer reverses the curse of sin. Your redeemer restores your soul. And your redeemer renews your hope for all eternity. For the future. Let me just look at four things our Redeemer uh, does for us. And this Redeemer is for every single one of us, no matter whether you wear sandals, whether you wear thongs, not the American version of thongs, but you know, Aussie thongs, you know, whether you've been never been caught stead wearing thongs or sandals, but uh, you know, you kind of like to go out all dressed up. You, like the rest of us, are dead in your sin and deserving of wrath. You need a redeemer. If you've been running from God your whole life, or you've been running for God for the last 10 years, He's stepping into your shoes. You can trade shoes with your redeemer named Jesus. You know, He trades. He trades shoes with tradies. He trades shoes with uh, weirdos that wear white shoes. And if you wear RMs, straight to heaven, people. That's nah, not true. I'm joking, joking. You have a redeemer. You have a redeemer. He reverses the curse. He renews, restores your soul. He renews your hope. He turns funerals into weddings. Ruth chapter 1, 
There's three funerals. Elimelech dies. The two sons die. Everyone's dying. It's a famine and a funeral. But in Ruth chapter 4, there's no more funerals. There's a wedding. Now Ruth has come in to this new family. They celebrate this love story between Ruth and Boaz. And I want to encourage us today that you have a redeemer who turns funerals into weddings. If you go to right at the beginning of the Bible to Genesis chapter 3, as sin came into the world, it says we're all separated from God. There was a death sentence that came upon all humanity. There's a funeral hanging over our head. And we're all part of this story. In Ephesians chapter 2, when it's talking to the New Testament church like us, it says, you were dead in transgressions and sins. Then it says, like the rest, you were deserving of wrath. Your sin that started in Genesis chapter 3 is the same sin that we've all inherited. We're all deserving of wrath. We're all deserving to be separated from God. But then it goes on in Ephesians 2 to say, but because God is rich in mercy, he's made us alive with Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, it actually says that because of the work of Christ in our lives, we become the bride of Christ. We're presented before God, it says, without stain or wrinkle or blemish. When God's thinking of what kind of picture can I give you to help you to understand the relationship of intimacy that I've designed you for, he says, I want you to picture a wedding. Now, I've stood up here and done many, many weddings, and I've stood next to a groom who is looking at his bride walking down that aisle. We, we part the chairs for weddings. Walking down that aisle. And I tell you, not once have I stood next to the groom and he's watched his bride walk down that aisle and he's gone, oh, she's all right. Well, she'll do, I suppose. Man, I'm always standing next to this guy with big puppy dog eyes and his tongue's hanging out and his tears running down his face because his bride is walking towards him and he's longing for her. He loves her. He can't wait to get his hands on her. And when God describes for us the kind of relationship he's got for us in Christ, that's what he picks. There's a love. There's an intimacy. There's a longing. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Because of the blood of Christ, we have been redeemed. We've been bought back with forgiveness of sins. Our sins are gone. It says we are presented before God, clean, white, without stain, wrinkle, or blemish. Now, not every wedding the bride wears white, but every single wedding... She's wearing a clean dress at least. She's looking her best. I wonder if some of us are actually standing before Jesus today and we don't feel clean and redeemed and forgiven and washed in the word, but we're actually still walking around with our history feeling dirty, used, abused, 
believe and we're a sinner and we're separate from God. A bride would never think of wearing a dress like this on a wedding day. And Jesus is saying, I've not given you clothes to wear like this. I've actually made you without spot, stain, or wrinkle. Nothing to do with what you've done. It says the works of our works of righteousness are like filthy rags. The blood of Jesus washes us clean. We're invited into a relationship of intimacy like a bride and a groom. The Bible begins with a funeral because of sin, but it ends with a wedding. It ends with a celebration. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 19. It says, if I can find it, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. This is what our Redeemer has done for us. Nothing to do with you. Your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, when he redeemed you by his blood on the cross, he forgave your sins. He washed you clean. He turns funerals into weddings. When you are dead in your relationship with God, he made it alive and he allows you to stand before him washed clean. Nothing that can separate you from his love ever again. He turns funerals into weddings and he turns foreigners into family. Remember Ruth chapter one. Ruth is a, a Moabite. She's excluded from the family of God. She's excluded from the worship of God. She's excluded from the people of God. Moabites weren't allowed into the temple down to the 10th generation. But in Ruth chapter four, She's now in the family of God because she's been redeemed. She's come in to Boaz's family line. The family of Israel, the family of God, the family of Christ. And once again, this is our story. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, before we knew redemption through Jesus. This is what it says. Remember that formerly, everyone say formerly, formerly in the past, you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners, everyone say foreigners, Formerly you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. This is our story. Once we too were foreigners. We're outside of the family with God. We're outside of the presence of God. But verse 13, but now in Jesus Christ, who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ redeems you. From your sin, it turns funerals into weddings and it turns foreigners into family. We talked a little about sister-in-laws before. Let me talk about brother-in-laws for a minute. Who here remembers 
first time you turned up to your new girlfriend's parents' house to meet the parents. Who remembers, remembers that? You were a foreigner. You were turning up as a foreigner into a new family's house. I can tell you it wasn't as bad as my brother-in-law, David. He turned up. My sister said, I got a new boyfriend. Decides to drive him uh, up the coast. My parents had moved an hour and a half north of Sydney. Says, I'm bringing you up to meet him. They hear his car pull in the driveway. They walk out and they see him get out of the car. But my sister's still in the car because he decided to prioritize his surfboard over my sister in the front seat of the car. And so she was in the back and had to wait for him in a two-door car to let her out. Great first impression comes inside after driving for an hour and a half and needs the bathroom in the first five minutes, goes into the bathroom. 30 minutes later, he's still in the bathroom. And my sister said, he's a new boyfriend. I'm not going in there. And my mum said, well, there's no way I'm going in there. And so my dad drew the short straw and after 30 minutes, he goes and knocks on the door and says, are you okay in there? Do you need any help? <laughs> and he says, yes, I do. <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> Can you come round the front of the house? So my dad walks around the front of the house and this foreigner to our family couldn't work how to unlock the toilet door, Einstein. So he decides a good idea would be to climb out the window of the toilet into the front veranda, but he got stuck like this. And he'd been stuck there for some time. Somehow, that buffoon that foreigner has become our family. <laughs> We've welcomed him in. He's been my brother-in-law for 15 years. I actually wonder if some of us feel like this about the church. We're foreigners that have been welcomed into family, but we're not really sure where we fit. We're not really sure if we belong. We're not really sure what we've got to offer. And we're kind of stuck with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And let me tell you, it gets uncomfortable. Can I just say to you today, because you have been washed clean, because you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven of your sins, you are welcome to come in. Full family member. You're part of the family. And we're going to be together forever, so you might as well get used to it now. Can I encourage you, if you're getting to the end of this year and you're not in one of those life groups I talked about or you haven't found that place to serve or you're not really sure if you belong, you've got anything to offer, can I just say this, this gets said on this stage every single week and it has for 20 years. Everyone who comes through those doors is welcome. You are welcome in this church because you are welcome in the family of God. We have a Redeemer 
and he turns foreigners into fully-fledged family members. Find your place. Funerals into weddings, foreigners into family members, and famine into fullness, chapter one. They're living in famine, they're empty, they're bitter. But chapter four, life is full for Ruth and Naomi. He says, praise the Lord, he's not left you without a redeemer today. His name will be famous in Israel. He will restore your life and sustain you in your old age. In chapter one, Naomi's family is empty, her heart is empty, and her stomach is getting empty. And over the period of these four chapters, we've seen them go from famine to gleaning leftovers in the field just to survive, to now in chapter four, being landowners that will provide them with food for their lives. They've got a full family, they've got a full stomach, and they've got a full heart. And you too have a redeemer who turns famine into fullness. Now Jesus says, if anyone here is hungry, if you're spiritually hungry, come to me. I've got bread to eat so you'll never be hungry again. In the presence of our enemies, whatever's going on, whatever fight we're facing, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies to nourish us and strengthen us for the fight. You've heard me talk about this before. I have this picture. It was for me the first time I saw it. I've seen it for other people lots of times. God has got a big banqueting table. You know, it's full of steak and lobsters and, you know, croissants and all cream buns and everything you could imagine that's good to eat. And he's saying, I've got a banqueting table before you in the presence of the enemies. I want you to enjoy. I want you to have strength to endure. And then there's people sitting down the end just nibbling on corn chips. And they're missing out on the fullness that God has for them. And for some people, and for some people in this room, it's because of laziness. You're actually prioritizing other things than coming to the banqueting table and sitting at the feet of Jesus, reading his word and being filled. And for some, it's inadequacy. I don't really think that God would be that good to me. I don't think he wants to speak to me. I don't think he wants to fill me until I pull my socks up and get my act together. It's simply not true. You'll never get your socks fully pulled up. You'll never get your act together. He invites you to the banqueting table so that you've got food to eat, you've got grace to receive, you've got truth to receive to actually give you strength to live the way he wants you to live. And as long as you think I don't deserve to come, you won't live the way he wants you to live. We have a redeemer. He reverses the curse. He restores our life. He turns funerals into weddings. He turns foreigners into family. He turns famine into fullness. And lastly, 
He turns afflictions into a glorious future. In Ruth chapter 1, it looked like Ruth and Naomi were at a dead end street. There was nowhere else to go, nothing was ever going to change. This was the end. But in Ruth chapter 4, they've been redeemed. And Ruth has a son. And that son's name is Obed, which means servant of the Lord. And he served the Lord. And his son Jesse served the Lord. And his son David served the Lord. So in Ruth chapter 1, there was national lawlessness and affliction and pain because it was the time of the judges and there was no king in Israel. But here in Ruth chapter 4, we have a picture of the man in two generations that will become the greatest king in Israel that the world has ever known. And he cared for the land and he cared for the people and he pointed people to God and it changed a nation. Ruth chapter 4 their afflictions have actually been turned into glorious hope. And I want to encourage you today that we're all part of that story. We are all part of that story. I don't know what you're going through right now, but the afflictions you're going through, the personal pain that you're walking through, the national pain that we're experiencing in our nation right now, it is not the end because there was another king who actually came from the family line of Ruth and came who sits on the throne of David and he redeemed you by his blood on the cross. But he did not stay dead. On the third day, the women went to the tomb and that dead body who had given up his life, shed his blood for you, was raised from the dead and he's alive today and he's alive forevermore. Whatever affliction you're walking through, it is not the end. Jesus has given you a glorious hope for the future. In the book of Ruth, you know, we, we see that the, the path to glory for the godly, it's not instant, but they get there in the end. And it's true for you too. There will be a day we stand before the King of Kings and every affliction will be gone. There'll be no more crying, no more weeping, no more pain, no more sickness. It'll all be gone because Jesus has healed us forevermore. We have a Redeemer. He turns funerals into weddings. He turns foreigners into family. He turns famine into fullness and he turns affliction into a glorious future. You see, what we see here in Ruth chapter 4 is that before the beginning of time, God actually was orchestrating, the Father was orchestrating the Son to enter into the world through the gates of Bethlehem, to step into your shoes and my shoes so that our sins could be forgiven. We could be redeemed by His blood. Our debt would be gone and we could know life in His name for evermore. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen this morning? I'm going to get the band to come up on stage. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you're here and you haven't yet 
traded shoes with Jesus. You haven't yet said to Jesus, would you step into my shoes? I want to trade places. I'm asking you to redeem me. I'm asking you to pay for my sin. I'm choosing to walk in a relationship with you forevermore. I'm just going to ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. If you're here today, and today's your day to say to Jesus, I'm trading places. Come and redeem me. Come and step into my shoes. Forgive my sin. Wash me clean. I want to come into the family of God. I want to know your love and your grace forevermore. I'd love to pray a prayer with you today. This is an important decision. It's a decision that everyone who stood in that baptistry this morning has made in the last little while. And it's a decision that you can make today. It's a decision to say, Jesus, come and forgive my sin. Take away my debt. I want to know relationship with you forever. Just while every eye is closed and head's bowed, if you'd like to pray a prayer asking Jesus to do that for you today, can I just get you to raise your hand just so, just for a minute, just so I can see it, just for a second. Just stick your hand up just, just for a minute if that's you today, just so I can see it. Bless you. Who else today? Say, yeah, bless you. Good man. Who else today? Just say, that's my prayer. Yeah, bless you. Good man. Anyone else today? Just say, that's my day. Hey, if that's you, can I just get you? You can put your hands down. I've seen them. That's awesome. Just, just pray with me today. Father, thank you that you always loved me. I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned against you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I ask today that you would forgive my sin. Please pay my debt and wash me clean. I want to live in relationship with you forevermore. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.